Welcome to Healthy Outcomes, a Baker Tilly podcast, where we'll informally discuss topics such as financial sustainability, value-based care, cybersecurity, and more. Baker Tilly is a leading advisory tax and assurance firm dedicated to helping healthcare organizations be financially sustainable. Each episode will bring you a topic or guest that will help you win now and anticipate tomorrow. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Mark Ross, and I'm the leader of Baker Tilly's Healthcare Provider Practice. Joining me for today's Healthy Outcomes podcast is Rick Gundling. Rick is a senior vice president with HFMA. In his role, Rick is responsible for overseeing HFMA's technical and content direction, leading the association's Washington, D.C. activities, and managing the association's thought leadership efforts. Rick also serves as staff liaison to HFMA's Principles and Practices Board and has written an extensive number of published articles on broad topics within healthcare finance and the healthcare industry broadly. I've had the pleasure through my role on the Principles and Practices Board for the last six years of conversing you know, with Rick and uh, really the pleasure of getting, of getting to know Rick on a, on, a, on a personal level. So Rick, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. Ah, thanks, Mark, for inviting me to, to join you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. You bet. So today, Rick and I are going to be discussing several topics that are relevant to hospitals and healthcare systems operating in today's very challenging environment. As Rick and I were, were planning for our discussion today, you know, we both agree that we could be talking for hours about you know, what's happening in the, in the healthcare environment, uh, but we will not talk for hours, so don't be concerned. We're just going to be talking about a couple specific issues and Rick's going to be sharing his thoughts uh, relative to the issues we're going to be addressing and, and his interactions that he's having with HFMA members. You know, we're going to talk about what's keeping providers up at night. We're going to be talking about a hospital's role in the provision of healthcare currently and, and in the future. Workforce issues, which are so pervasive uh, in, in today's, today's healthcare environment. We might be touching on, time permitting, on value-based care. You know, the evolution of value-based care payment models and, and participation in VBC models. We'll address the, the evolution of digital health and where digital health is expected to go in the future. And we'll also be touching on health equity and what providers are doing to promote health equity in their service areas. So Rick, let's get started with the age old, what's keeping providers up at night? I mean, as you and I both know, there are a lot of challenges facing providers today over the last, you know, the last 24 months have probably been the most challenging operating environment that any healthcare executive has ever faced in, in their entire career. So if you had to narrow it down to the top two or three concerns that providers have today, what, what would they be, Rick? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think just the timing of, of this, I think CFOs are trying to understand this post-pandemic environment, you know, as, as the end of the provider relief funds and the funding has ended and quote unquote, we've been talking about the new normal, but now that the new normal is now the normal, trying to navigate that. And I think the, the whole area that the entire economy and not just healthcare, but the, uh, the whole issue of workforce, of which I know we'll dive in a little bit later, is definitely keeping them up at night and addressing the challenges to clinician staffing and travel nurse expenses is just mind boggling right now for them. I think they're focusing on the strategy um, and alternative revenue sources as well. Um, you know, what is the trends in virtual care? 
what are some of the proliferation of technology and platform offerings that'll be happening. You know, what's, what's going on with increasing automation and productivity? Talked about workforce, but you also have to talk about, uh, you know, how do we get um, uh, the productivity uh, that, that is necessary from a, a workforce that may or may not be there? And then also something we learned very well going into the pandemic is uh, how to enable faster decisions, how to, be, how to pivot very quickly, and what the role is of the CFO in enabling faster decision making. We learned we could do it. I mean, hospitals and health systems pivot very quickly uh, when the pandemic set in, and, and they, they're kind of taking that, those learnings and bringing them forward for their future strategies. So I think it's a very exciting time. Yeah, there's a lot there. You, you didn't speak too long there. <laughs> you, 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 you bundled a lot into your, into your response to that question. But overall, I, I think that the nimbleness or providers have become more nimble. I, well, they've been, they've been forced to become more nimble uh, dur during the last 24 months. And, and again, workforce, supply chain, you know, strategic issues, you know, the virtual care, the evolution of telehealth, which we'll be talking more about digital, the digital environment, what's happening their investment in technology. So I don't know that there are two or three top concerns. I think there's many, many concerns, issues that that providers are facing today. And and, and one of those I, I also believe is volumes, right? Uh, volumes in their facilities. So we continue to see a shift, as you know, Rick, of inpatient care to outpatient facilities. So a recent HFMA survey of financial executives projected that the median percentage of revenue coming from inpatient care will fall to 25% by 2030 from 40% in 2019. So over an 11 year period, a 15% reduction in inpatient care volume. So, so in summary, a hospital's role in healthcare, inpatient healthcare is likely to continue to, to shrink. So from your perspective, Rick, what, what does this mean to a healthcare system's physical plant, the current and future investments in the physical plant that they're, that they're maintaining and really their overall strategy as a healthcare system? Absolutely. Um, you know, again, as, as hospitals are looking out strategically, I think they're also realizing that the, the traditional inpatient care is not going to be kind of the hub of the wheel, but it's going to be a part of something. Again, with the pandemic, we realized that so much care and the technology allowed us to provide the care in homes and through digital settings. And I think consumers and employers are going to start you know, that's it's not going to end from the pandemic. That's going to keep going. So I think it does change the whole framework of what a hospital is, right? And it's not just those four walls and a building. You know, the, the footprint's going to change in time. And my gosh, with the, the advances in pharmaceuticals and in individualized medicine and genetic testing, it's going to allow so much of that care to be done where the consumer is, where the patient is. You know, and again, home is so many times the preferred area, but but it can be done in smaller settings. That, you know, people don't have to travel miles to an academic medical center when it can be done, you know, at a retail setting that targets employers or targets other, in, you know, that other sectors. I mean, we've seen the, the proliferation of primary care uh, being done at CVS and Walmarts and uh, other retail um, providers, you know, and, and that's an increasing competition for hospitals. Nobody's competing for the inpatient care. No one's competing for the ICU patients, right, um, right now. But it's, it's that outpatient care. It's the primary care, which is, you know, kind of the front door to a lot of health systems that, uh, that, that other people are looking at. Because there's, there's a low barrier to entry. 
And it's, I think people, uh, consumers are looking for a better experience sometimes. And I think you know, CVS and uh, uh, Walmart believe that they can provide that. And I think that's where a lot of the uh, venture capital is going, a lot of apps and, and telehealth to kind of control that. So I think, I think hospitals are gonna have to rethink you know, how they engage the community, where they put their capital dollars, where they, you know, when they're, they're debt and funding. And I think it's also going to be uh, from the pandemic on how they work with others, the, the hospitals, you know, how they work with uh, their local public health programs to provide some of that, that primary care. You know, how can they enter into direct contracts with employers to provide more of that retail type services uh, to those employers? And as, as others, you know, they, they're looking at launching or co-sponsoring a health plan, you know, uh, Medicare Advantage and, and other types of care that it's going to let them impact some of the social determinants of health more directly. And so I think it's almost that redefinition of, of a hospital and what, it's, what it can do. Yeah, and, and so overall, again, as we talk about the continued migration inpatient to, to outpatient care type facilities, I do think the, the current physical plant that a healthcare system has will need to be analyzed. And I, I will tell you, Rick, from our perspective, with the healthcare systems we work with, we're, you know, we're seeing more of our clients, you know, formulate or start to develop formal real estate strategies. You know, healthcare systems historically, go, you know, go back 10, 15, 20 years, didn't necessarily have a real estate strategy, but I think this migration, inpatient to outpatient, is forcing them to really think long and hard about their current real estate and then future real estate and potentially looking at alternate uses of, of some of their current real estate holdings. So it'll be interesting to see how these, you know, how these strategies continue to, to evolve and develop and what the ultimate play will be for some of these, for some of these systems. Yeah. And just to, to dovetail off your comment about the real estate strategies, you know, the pandemic allowed much more work from home for a lot of you know, the, the revenue cycle staff and IT staff, you know, they don't have to be in the, the building of the hospital or in an office building or leased space next door. They can be at home. So I think a lot of hospitals are looking how to let go of that real estate lease space um, that they don't need as much, or they, they do more co-opt, you know, kind of a shared space um, and, and much more dynamic. So I, I think even though they may be spending more on workforce, they're also may be able to do some savings and some of the, the lease space they have now. Sure, sure, because obviously we know th those leases and even and even maintaining the owned physical plant that a, that a healthcare system has. I mean that that's real money. So again, part of part of the, the the development of the strategies are also focused on obviously the cost side of the equation, making sure that the system has a, appropriate facilities to care for patients in their in their service areas, but then at the same time, balancing having the, the right size facilities, the right number of facilities with cost, right? To make Absolutely. Sure you're getting that ROI, right? We talked about return Absolutely. on investment in, in healthcare quite a bit. So Rick, let's talk a little bit about workforce. So workforce issues across the healthcare sector, as, as we know, have been well publicized. You know, high turnover rates, shortages in certain job categories, specifically nurses, you know, the nursing shortage, has been very well publicized. Burnout, you know, those are some of the issues that healthcare providers have been have been facing for years, and and certainly the pandemic has elevated or exacerbated some of these some of these workforce issues. And it's not all about the clinical side of the business either. When we think about workforce issues or some of the struggles, it's it's all departments, 
including some of the administrative functions. And our and you know, you mentioned revenue cycle, right? Right. So even the the business office teams that you know revenue cycle teams that that some systems have, um, they're struggling a bit with with recruiting and and retention. So certainly in my thirty year career working with healthcare providers, you know, the workforce issues are the most intense I've ever seen. And so when when you think about or you know some of the interactions, Rick, that you've been having with, with the membership, with the HFMA mem membership relative to workforce issues, you know, how are members, I mean, what are, you, what are you hearing? You know, obviously, I think you're hearing the same thing we're seeing, right? We're all seeing it, that there are real issues out there, but how are members addressing them? What are they doing to try and mitigate the, the effects of some of these issues? Yeah, I, um, you know, health systems, they're looking at technology increasingly, you know, as, as these smarter tools have become more available. So they're, Definitely much more serious about figuring out how robotics, uh, automation, artificial intelligence can best be applied to administrative processes. I think health systems have had some, but I think as the, the workforce gap has increased so much, I think it's truly a problem that this automation is going to have to solve. So I think most systems are, you know, just slowly getting into this, you know, because I think it does hold a promise you know, particularly with administrative processes, with the revenue cycle. I think it's uh, Texas Health Resources as a system down in, uh, you know, the Dallas area. You know, they're using some automated tools for uh, screen scraping and registering newborns um, with the state Medicaid departments. And they're using uh, some bots in their cash management, making the process of posting reconciled payments to the billing system and general ledger much more efficient and accurate. So that's ways that they have just started to actually bring in more automation because you know again as 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 you mentioned the workforce problem isn't in just the clinical side but also in the administrative side so i i think much more deliberate use of technology to to solve that and that's not new i mean all industries are doing that uh, you know they're seeing where they can use automation to help increase productivity or to uh, perform services that it wasn't just a cost savings but there may not be a human available to do it and so, uh, you know, I've seen some uh, hospitals actually have some robots that deliver meals and bring things around and uh, follow up with patient, um, uh, you know, after a procedure, they might do phone and, and uh, selective targeting of certain high risk patients, but the automation may prioritize that for a nurse to do um, and help in that. So again, just to make the nurse more productive. So, yeah, so I mean, Specifically on the nursing shortage, Rick. Again, it's been the nursing shortage, the projected shortage of of, of nurses as we move forward. Again, another well publicized thing. And what what are you seeing? I mean, some of maybe some of the concepts you just talked about. But when you're talking with providers, what what are they thinking about this nursing shortage? I mean, obviously it's real. They're feeling some of the pain now. But moving forward, you know, it may, maybe collaborating with with universities, absolutely, colleges, et cetera, things of that nature. What, what are you seeing? That's exactly right. I mean, it's it's the whole uh, nurse training area because I mean, part of the um, the backlog is the the ability of the nursing schools to produce enough nurses. And so, you know, I, I see health systems working very closely with uh, the universities um, to help either expand or provide mentorships or to even working with some of the kind of the nurse extenders like uh, certified nursing assistants. That's certainly um, an, an issue in the long-term care. So I, part of it is just getting the pipeline opened up. You know, years ago, I had worked at a hospital that we had a, a nursing school as part of the, the hospital. 
but those are not all closed. So I think I think what's going to the reality is is some of those old concepts they become new again, and maybe looking at how health systems can be part of the nurse training programs, and maybe not just nurses, but all clinicians, uh, lab technicians, and, and others as well. But a definitely a much more conservative uh, talk about how to open up the pipeline that had closed up, and you, you know something that like LPNs that we hadn't hadn't utilized much as uh, you know in recent years. Maybe there's a there's an expanding role for that in, uh, for them in hospitals, and certainly the long term care industry needs many more certified nurse assistants um, that, that 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 we're able to produce right now. Yeah, for sure, Rick. I mean, we could. Again, I, I said it earlier, we could talk for hours about some of these issues. We could talk for hours just about post-acute care and skilled nursing. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and what's happening, what's happening there. But 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 as you know, and, and we've all heard that, you know, all healthcare providers need to have, you know, the right skill sets employed in the right place at, at, at the right time. And today it's just it's challenging to do that. That 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 formula is certainly easier said than done. So so Rick, let's pivot to digital health for a second. So so the evolution of telehealth, remote patient monitoring, et cetera, you know, has, has come a long way in the in the last few years, uh, specifically in light of the pandemic. And it looks like that momentum is going to continue, right? It's not like, you know, we we are hopefully coming out the other side of, of the pandemic. It's not like the, the digital health strategies of the evolution that's occurred over the last you know 24 months is going to stop. Again, there's a lot of momentum there. And I think there will absolutely be Healthcare providers across the board are going to continue to invest in technologies to pursue digital health strategies. So, so as you're discussing digital health with HFMA members, you know, what are they saying relative to the investments they plan to make over the next two years? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what when patients talk about quality, they talk about it in about four different areas. One is safety, you know, outcomes make me better you know, respect, but they also talk about in terms of access. I need to be able to talk to a doctor. I need to text a nurse. I don't necessarily always have to physically go in um, to an ER, a physician's office. I just need to, when I'm worried about something, I just need to be able to communicate with a knowledgeable person. And I think that that's one of the first steps of what a consumer thinks of is to use a tool, um, a phone or, uh, you know, their, their, their iPhone. Um, to be able to, um, to to access a provider. And that's where some of our, the, the telehealth and the different apps for the consumer is being, consumer engagement is being done, mm -hmm. is, is just in that access part. And so I think with, again, with the, the pandemic, I think telehealth and the ability to access a, a healthcare provider remotely, one is because a patient didn't want to sit in, in a, a waiting room with other people that they could get sick from COVID from, right? But we didn't like that in flu season. None of us wanted to sit in our dentist's office or our physician office, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so we all like that part, right? And so that part's not going away. And so we wanna be able to access somebody on our iPhone, and, and particularly for something that for primary care or behavioral health was a huge benefit for access. And I think that that'll continue as well is, you know, I think it opened up, you know, behavioral health worked really well, primary care on using telehealth and digital strategies. You know, some specialties, maybe like orthopedic or urology, not so much, but that's, you know, then we can focus 
on, on which ones can be done best remotely and which ones need to be done in person. And I think what the, the digital health and that whole strategy will be to minimize patients sitting around in a waiting room. And again, when I said quality, uh, you know, what, what patients think about quality is, is respect. Having a patient sit in a waiting room for an hour, waiting for their 15-minute appointment, patients think that that's disrespectful and they get annoyed. And uh, again, with the patient experience, and that's where some of the, you know, the Walmarts and the CVSs kind of step in and kind of say, hey, we'll see you right away. Um, you know, and, you know, that's, that's where the, the, uh, the venture capital dollars are going. And I think that's where health systems are also putting their money because they, they already have that great relationship with the patient. It's just a matter of meeting the patient where they are. And that's where it's that whole consumer expectation part of it that is gonna continue and be so important uh, for that, uh, the long-term engagement of the patient. And we, we know, I mean, you, you, you responded to that question, but most of your response was around consumer or patient engagement. And I think we all, we all realize that in this, in this country, patients just don't engage the way that they should, you know, with right. their physicians, specifically their primary care physicians. So we're just, we're just not that good at engaging with, with our healthcare providers and, and providers are doing, I, I think, you know, trying to be innovative, right? Trying to, trying to elevate or enhance that level of, of patient engagement. Because ultimately, you know, the more patient engagement you have, and we all know it, you know, we talk about the the percentage healthcare spend represents of you know G GDP in this country, and you know and how we spend more money in the U.S. than you know most other developed, virtually all other developed right. countries across across the globe, right? Um, on healthcare on, on a per capita basis, part of it comes down to patient engagement. I mean, Absolutely, part of it really does. So the more engaged we are as as patients, you know, we we can help the cause, Rick. We can't, and I, and actually, I I don't think we can just continue to point the finger at at the healthcare providers because they're trying to innovate, they're oh. trying to do what they can to elevate patient engagement. We need we need to participate, but at the same time, you make a great point. I don't like sitting in my physician's office for an hour waiting to talk, you know, to, to him or her for for fifteen minutes. Right? right. No, nobody nobody likes that. And, and that's Mark. You make a great point about you know about how we it's culture, right? You can't you can't separate. A country or an era, you know, uh, you know, our, our our American healthcare system is uniquely American, and yep. many of it is the way our culture is and the way we want and interact, right? So if we want changes, we actually have to change ourselves and our own culture and expectations, and we're starting to see that. But uh, you know, you and I have talked in the past about just the whole part of health, right? We you know we want to be healthy. We don't we don't want to necessarily be in a a, a physician's office, right? Mm -hmm. And and we want to be encouraged to keep healthy. And and some of these technologies can help us uh, do the right thing. Maybe there's reminders to get on the scale or to take our run or get to the gym and those kinds of things. And in not a you know in a, in a way that's not threatening, right? And not a, a you know a, annoying to a patient um, and to to stay healthy. So sure, sure, yeah. So we so ultimately you know we need to engage. We need to participate. You know. You know, we need to participate with our healthcare providers. We need to be, as individuals, we need to be part of the solution, right? And uh, you know, trying to improve, ultimately, you know, healthcare healthcare spend across the country, and ultimately improving our overall uh, our overall health, as as you as you Absolutely. said. Rick. So, Absolutely. so pivoting to another topic, another well publicized topic, and that's the concept of health equity. And health equity, you know, simply means 
from my perspective, Rich, Rick, in, 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 in summary, that you know, we all have an equal opportunity to be healthy. And, and I know HFMA's written, you know, again, well publicized by HFMA uh, and, and by a lot of other uh, industry, industry professionals, uh, specifically in light of COVID. So COVID elevated the health equity you know, discussion. You know, because we observed over the last 24 months, you know, disparities in the prevalence of, of COVID, mortality rates, and access. You know, you talked about access and we talked about digital health a bit, Rick, but, but access to care across different cohorts. Uh, there have, have been some disparities there. And some of these disparities are connected to, and again, we read a lot about these or hear a lot about social determinants of health. I mean, these are not easy issues or problems to solve. I mean, they are, you know, when you think about health equity, when you think about social determinants of health, they are complex issues. So, so Rick, as you talk to healthcare providers, again, that the HFMA membership or providers across the, the U.S. about health equity and social determinants, what, what are some of the common themes that you're hearing from providers? Well, I think, you know, providers have always been very involved in community benefit and work in the community. But I think what they've, they're taking much more of an ownership role in being able to impact the social determinants of health, right? There's, there was always, where's the line between the healthcare system and the public health system? Um, and where's that line? And then they realize there isn't a line. We have to work in collaboration with our communities, with the, uh, the public health system um, to address housing and nutrition and, you know, maybe uh, uh, working with the employer community uh, to, to, uh, to bring grocery stores to inner city areas so there's uh, access to fresh fruit and, and vegetables and, and uh, fruits and, you know, to, for healthy eating. Mm -hmm. and, and also to work very closely with groups to bring, you know, safe housing to areas. Um, and, the, and and also to try to meet the different communities where they are. Um, I worked with a, um, a federal a federally qualified health clinic that uh, when we were administering uh, COVID vaccines that we didn't wait for them to the patients to come to our clinics. We reached out to different uh, churches and synagogues and mosques to say, hey, can we set up vaccine clinics in your in your buildings, right, to, to meet your communities and, and help your your own community. And they were like, yes. So we were able to to provide uh, services uh, directly there where they felt comfortable and safe um, and trusted. Right. And so, uh, you know, part of part of this is also building trust for, with the healthcare system to take care of these communities and also the healthcare community can to share their best practices and knowledge with working with the public health system. To do that, so I think it's all, it's all about partnership, collaboration, because no one entity can do it all, right? To Correct. to do this, and so we need to to work collaboratively, and that's what I'm seeing. That much more of an ownership, but part of the ownership as a collaborator, um, and to and and to to help where they can. And, sure. and to kind of be leaders in the community. But I think, but I think, uh, Mark, to your point, I think the um, the COVID, I think, opened our eyes to the disparities, but, you know, on, you know, outcomes for race, ethnicity, and just different uh, socioeconomic um, areas. And so we, we can't look away, we have to be in. So, and I think that that's, you know, I think the, uh, the role of the of the healthcare providers, you know, they realize that they are the anchor in their communities and need to be part of it. 
Sure. Yeah, and I and I know Rick, and dealing with all of our clients, I mean, you know, these are very complex issues, but I know they're issues that that every provider out there they're trying to make progress, right? And it, it it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to require collaboration, as you said. You know, you know, five smart people trying to figure this out is better than just one person trying to do it in a silo. And I, and I, and I think progress will continue to be made. But you know, it, you know, it, as you know, it, you know, we might not be that great in engaging with our healthcare providers as patients. And generally speaking, we're not that patient either, right? As as people like patient, not being patients, but we're not that patient. We expect, yeah. you know, we we see an issue, we want to fix that issue quickly, resolve it, and move on. And and I and I think health equity social determinants of health, all those issues that are wrapped together, it's just going to take some time and uh, to, to continue to make progress. And, and I, exactly. And, and I think it's that building that trust to to make that progress. So, Absolutely. but I think you're right. I think you're right. It, it, it you know, it's a journey, but we it have is, to get to the journey. So it is, it is a journey. Rick, well, this conversation has been a journey actually. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been great talking with you. <laughs> no, it has been. It, it, no, it's been, it's been good to talk about these issues. I mean, we we're running short on time here, so we may not get to, or we're not going to get to our value based care that we, you know, we wanted to weave in here. You know, that the whole conversation there was, was going to revolve around, you know, value based care arrangements. They do continue to expand the number of ACOs participating in, in, you know, CM with CMS again, continues to, to expand. So, you know, we were just going to converse a bit, Rick, about how value-based care is not going away. And, and also value-based care is not just a governmental concept, very pervasive in the, you know, with commercial payers as well. But we could probably do a separate podcast just uh, on value-based care. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a follow-up on that. We'll do a follow-up on that. On that. But, but Rick, I can't thank you enough for, for, for joining me and, 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 and talking with me today. I, I very much appreciate your time. We as a firm, Baker Tilly is an enterprise member, as you know, with with HFMA and, and and we absolutely appreciate our, our relationship with HFMA and all the resources that HFMA provides to uh, to their members. So so Rick, thank you. And Mark, we appreciate so much of the expertise you and your Baker Tilly team provide to us and, and to the industry. So thank you for always being willing to share your knowledge and expertise. I appreciate, appreciate that. So I wanna thank our listeners uh, today too for joining joining this podcast. If you found this episode to be useful and would like to listen to more episodes about hot topics in the healthcare industry, please subscribe to our Healthy Outcomes podcast or learn more by visiting us at bakertilly.com. Thank you for listening. To receive notifications when new episodes are available, please subscribe on whichever platform you get your podcasts. For additional resources, check out bakertilly.com.